Great to see you. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are continuing in our series on the seven deadly sins this morning. If you've not been here, we've already looked at the sins of envy, greed, and anger. This morning, I want us to address the sin of lust. So if you're a first-time guest, you've walked in on a sermon about lust and sex this morning. Because in order to talk about lust, we will need to address sex. One historian said that the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 1970s was as transformative of a tool as the printing press. The change of our culture's approach to sex has been powerful and rapid. I realize that in a group this size, there are some of you who hold to a view of sex as liberation. Freedom in sexual expression, which means you feel no guilt and you feel the freedom to act and do however you please. Others of you may be plagued by guilt in regards to lust and your sexuality. It could be guilt that comes from past encounters, present addictions, however it may be. I realize that there is a lot of sexual brokenness present this morning. And whether you feel liberated in sex or you feel enslaved by sex, I believe all people are looking for the same thing. God. Listen to this quote by G.K. Chesterton. When a man goes knocking on the door of a brothel, he goes looking for God. Let me say that again. When a man goes knocking on the door of a brothel, he goes looking for God. Chesterton is saying this, sexuality and spirituality are inseparable. Sexuality and spirituality are connected. What we are searching for and hoping for in our sexual pursuits can only be found ultimately in God. So here's a question for all of us. Are your private parts connected to your hearts? We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through chapter 7, verse 2. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. I'm going to read God's word because we need to hear from him this morning and he speaks to us. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. 
The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would speak this morning. And I realize that everyone's coming in this morning with different experiences and different perspectives. I pray that you would meet us in a topic that often is sensitive. Would you meet us and would you change us and would you heal us and would you restore us? We need you to speak. So would you speak, Lord Jesus, to us this morning by your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Before we delve into the sin of lust, I believe that we need to understand and hold to a healthy view of sex. Because the sin of lust is a distortion of a good thing that God has given, which is sex. God has created all of us as sexual beings with the ability to be sexually aroused and to have sexual desire. This is a part of God's good creation. There's a whole book of the Bible, Song of Songs, that is dedicated to the love of a man and a woman. And it's quite erotic in its expressions and it's so much so that Jewish boys were not allowed to read it until the age of 13. The Bible is not G-rated. The Bible does not avoid talking about sex. The Bible declares sex very good. The first thing I want us to talk about this morning is the perversion of sex. Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth had all kinds of issues going on, but one of the major issues was sexuality. There were two views of sex, two sexual narratives that the Corinthians were buying into. Both were false narratives. Sex as angels, sex as animals. Sex as angels. Let's look at this one first. Chapter 7, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians says, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And see, that's, that, was in, that was in parentheses because the Corinthian church wrote this to Paul because some of the Corinthians were in the business of denying the physical. They didn't want to talk about sex. They suppressed sexual desires. They downplayed the glory of sex by treating it as dirty. A 2,000-year-old view that still rings true today, especially for many of you who might have been raised in churches that treated sex as dirty, that avoided talking about sex. Many of you get extremely uncomfortable talking about sex. You are uncomfortable now as I preach about sex. You're afraid to talk to other people about sex. And you can live self-protected lives and deny the truth that you have sexual desires. And in doing so, you're treating yourself like an angel, denying the physicality of your body. Here's a reality. We are sexual beings. God created sex. It's good. And if you deny this, one of two things will happen. For those of you who are abstaining from sex, or maybe those of you who did abstain from sex until marriage, if you deny this truth that you're sexual, when it's time to have sex in marriage, you will have a difficult time or you have found yourself having a difficult time. Because if you think sex is dirty now, when it comes to your honeymoon, you will not hit a switch and change your view. It will pose problems or it has already posed problems in your marriage. Second thing, if you deny this truth of being created sexual, you will suppress 
your sexuality. You'll hide it from others. You'll begin to sow deception and you'll deny, 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 and you'll live in secret. And we are only as sick as our secrets. This is a perversion of sex. But but Paul is telling us that sex is good, sex is valuable, which is why he exhorts the Corinthians in chapter 7, verses 2 to 5, that each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband and to not deprive the other of sex. Paul is saying sex is good. God wants you to have sex. God wants you to have sex often. But the marriage of a man and a woman is the boundary by which we are free to have sex. Now, Some of you may be thinking right now, I knew it. <laughs> Christians, Christians are so prude. Christians are so uptight. I knew you were going to talk about marriage when you said you were going to talk about sex. Christians just need to loosen up. See, sex is very valuable, God. Something that he gives for our pleasure, which is why he wants to protect it. If you hear from my first intro sermon into the series, I I said that the laws of God were like a fence to protect our relationship with him. And so marriage is a fence not to prevent something pleasurable, but to protect something precious. Now that I have that perversion out of the way, which I can believe, I believe is prevalent in many Christian homes and in many Christian churches. I want to zone in on the other perversion of sex, sex as animals. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 13 was the catchphrase of the day in Corinth. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. According to the Greek mind, what mattered most was soul and spirit. The body was but a collection of appetites. Food is for the stomach, stomach for the food, or for food. What some of the Corinthians were saying is that sex is appetite. You get hungry, you eat, you get tired, you sleep, you feel sexy, you have sex. How often do we hear or might you say sex is natural? I have sexual urges and it's natural to release them. Sex is just biological and physical. It's natural. And to think differently, that's naive and it's stifling. Old episode of Friends. I don't know how many of you watched the TV show Friends. Old episode where Monica asked Richard, so can we still be friends and have sex? And Richard replies, sure. It will just be something we do together like playing racquetball. (laughs) Sex as sport. Sex as appetite. This view assumes that we are animals. Animals enslaved to instinct. But here's the issue. Animals don't go knocking on the door of brothels. Animals don't turn on computers late at night. Sex is much more than just a physical act. But our culture treats sex often as just physical, stripping away the personal and social implications. The next thing I want us to look at, it's not just the perversion of sex, but I want us to look at the purpose of sex. And this is where I'll flush out lust a little bit more. Verses 15 to 16 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes 
one body with her, for as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Sex is good. Sex is created by God. God is pro-pleasure. But God is not just body. Or sex is not just body. Sex is not just appetite. Sex is not just self-expression. It's not just a physical release. Sex has, has a created design. Sex is a sealing act. It's a bonding act. The Greek becoming one flesh means to seal to bond. It, it seals the body and the soul. Sex is the sealing of two people in body, soul, and spirit. Peter Jansen wrote this. Sex is like superglue. It's a little irrational and stupid. No mind of its own. Very effective if used properly. It unites and bonds with extraordinary speed with real and deep bonding. With superglue, you must work carefully with what you want to stick together because if torn apart, it's very ugly. Make sure you know what you're trying to glue together. Sex has the purpose of creating love between two people, of bringing two into one, of creating intimacy. It is love making between two people. Sex also has in its purpose procreation. Producing life, becoming one flesh, man and woman, producing children, bringing forth life. Sex is love-making and life-giving. So do you see what's at stake here in our understanding of sexuality? Love and life. Human relationship and human existence. Sex is not just about me. It's about loving others. Let's talk about lust. Lust, which is the distortion of sex. Lust, on the other hand, is a party of one with an excessive desire for my own sexual pleasure. I'll say that again. Lust is a party of one with an excessive desire for my own sexual pleasure. First thing I'll say about lust, lust wants it. While proper love desires a beloved person. Love is the antithesis to intimacy. Lust is the antithesis to intimacy. No wonder lust leaves a person feeling used and or empty. No wonder after looking on the internet, after a casual hookup, after a flirtatious night, you stop and you lie in bed more empty than you felt before, hungrier for relationship and intimacy than you had before. Lust leaves you isolated and alone, while sex leads you deeper into another. The second thing about lust. Lust dehumanizes people, while love gives, gives dignity to another. Lust is about my pleasure and what I can take and get from you. Lust is like the old John Mayer song. Your body is a wonderland. Lust treats another person's body like an amusement park. It's a place to have fun and explore and get excitement. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 tells us that the body is the place of God's dwelling. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And to treat the body as a wonderland is to degrade who God has made each of us to be. As one author said, it's because we are the image of God and God dwells within us 
that to degrade another sexually is to degrade a king or a queen. That person you look at with a long glare and sexually objectify as they walk by in the street or in your office or in the grocery store, you dehumanize. The person you look at on the internet, though they might put themselves on the internet, you dehumanize. That person is not just another person's daughter or son, but they are royalty made in the image of God. Lust destroys while love gives life. That's the third thing. Lust destroys. True love produces life in the other person. And it produces life in the sense of procreation. That's the purpose of sex, to give life. But lust tears apart. Lust damages. Remember that sex is like superglue quote from Peter Jansen. Sex is like superglue. It seals two people together, but if torn apart, it takes a piece of both with it. And many of you know this to be true from your own experiences. No matter how casual of a hookup you think you had, you left a piece of yourself with that person. When you think about that person or you see them, something happens inside of you. This is why breakups and affairs are so devastating. Sex worked. You became united with that person. Old movie, Vanilla Sky, I'm not necessarily recommending it. It's not a great movie, but it's a movie with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. They have a sexual relationship and Tom Cruise is trying to get out of the relationship and Cameron Diaz is going crazy. And she says, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. Lust causes damage. Some people are more directly impacted by lust, but there's also shrapnel that can fly out and cause damage to those not directly involved. One author says that not everyone is affected by the fire of lust, but all are affected by its smoke. Now think about a neighborhood. How a neighborhood might feel when a sex offender moves in. The whole neighborhood is impacted. Think about cohabitating adults who impair their chances of stable marriages and families later because they're living together before marriage. The data, data supports that very clearly. Think about sexual abuse, how it can tear families apart, and how sexual abuse can tear churches apart. Think about that 80% of teens have been exposed to hardcore pornography. The effect of pornography is deep, And it impacts not just the person, but the relationships that that person will ever have. Author Naomi Wolf said about people who become addicted to pornography, for them, real naked people are just bad porn. Porn impacts the intimacy in future relationships. See, lust is about me, whereas love is about you. Lust impacts Our culture, all of us are impacted by the smoke. We live in a culture where national department stores now market sexy underwear to six-year-olds. Where Hardee's markets a hamburger by a girl in a bathing suit taking a bite of a burger. A sexualized, lustful culture is the air we breathe. It's not just a private problem. It causes collateral damage. And lust can even cause deeply emotional damage. It breeds depression 
and loneliness. Here's a huge thing I want you to understand that Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians. Our bodies and our souls are connected. As much as we think we can, we cannot disassociate our bodies from ourselves. Sex is not just sport. Sex is not just recreation. What you do with your body will impact your soul. Why do you think when anxiety comes, your appetite is affected? Why when you're stressed out, it affects your sleep? Because body and soul are connected. Here's the last thing I'll say about lust. Lust creates calloused hearts. Love creates tender hearts. And whether it be through the constant long staring, the TV or internet or hookup, when we misuse something habitually, we find that we lose our ability to appreciate its goodness. So when we allow lust to run rampant in our minds, hearts, and body, sex begins to lose its flavor. And when something begins to lose its flavor or excitement, you need to ante up to find the thrill. You need to increase the level of sexual perversion. So as a person gives in to the habit of lust, the person can grow cold towards sex. And they find that they need more lust, more perversion to stoke the excitement, which is why the stare that started with a few seconds turns into a stare that only turns away when you finally get caught, which is why pornography's intensity and perversity must increase, which is why certain sexual acts or expressions in lust become old and you need to find new sexual acts and expressions. Love, on the other hand, bonds people together. It creates intimacy. Lust needs more and more. Love increases in the little and the mundane. I find it attractive when my wife and I are playing with our son. I find my wife attractive when I see her reading a book to my son. My heart is drawn toward her in those moments, and I love her more. Love increases in the little and the mundane because it's about a person. If lust is the sin that we're talking about, what is the virtue that we're called toward as Christians? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the pure in heart. Purity of heart is the virtue of the follower of Jesus. Purity of heart is the virtue of one who does not give into lust. Now, I want to reiterate what I said early on. I know there's a lot of sexual brokenness in this room, in this sanctuary this morning. In fact, we're all sexually broken. Every one of us has been wronged or hurt Everyone struggles with thinking wrongly about sex or we have engaged inappropriately. I know many of you struggle with guilt and shame. This area of sex is an area filled with deep shame and with deep secrets. So how can we live with purity of heart and fight against lust? I want to do this by giving you a picture of sex. We've talked about the perversion of sex and the purpose. I want to end by giving you a picture of sex. Now, I may get a, a little too graphic for those of you that act like angels, but think about sex between a man and a woman for a second. Humans have sex face to face. Sex is when two people come together, one in strength to penetrate and one in tenderness to receive. Face to face, penetration and reception. 
Sex is the experience of deep intimacy. Remember I said sexuality and spirituality are inseparable. So I want to suggest two ways to be restored, to be healed, to be changed sexually. The first, run to the arms of Christ. Run to the arms of Jesus. Maybe many of you grew up in churches that taught you all kinds of strategies to flee sexual temptation. Have filters on your computer, accountability groups, and these are all good things. And if you do not have them, you should have them. Our passage says flee. And we should flee, we should avoid temptation. Yet Christianity is not a rule book of no's. It's not a rule book of no's, it's a book that is pro-love. And a list of do's and don'ts only gives you control. And what you need, what we need to be healed and restored is to let go of control. You need to become the tender receiver. You need to see the strong one, Jesus who wants to plant his seed deeply in you. You need to see Jesus, the one who gave away his life for you and for me. The first chapter of the first gospel of Matthew, Jesus lets the world know his family tree. Rahab, a prostitute. David, an adulterer. Solomon, a polygamist. Declaring to the world, my family is filled with sexually broken people. Jesus redeems sexually broken people. We need to know Christ. We need to rest in the arms of Jesus and know that his self-giving love was for us. And we need to receive his love and grace and be changed. Don't settle for less when Christ offers himself. Secondly, we as a community must point each other to the strong grace and love of Christ. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. We need intimacy with one another, not just man and woman in marriage, but we need one another in community. Lust thrives in isolation. And in our intimacy with one another at times, we will need to be the strong one for struggling brothers and sisters and remind them about the penetrating love of Christ. And at times we will need to be the ones who, who, who confess our struggle and share our struggles with each other. As a community, we must encourage each other in our thoughts and in our actions, encouraging one another to read the Bible and to pray and to come to worship on Sunday morning, to have our hearts and our minds dwell on the things of God. We need one another. Let me close with a true story. I think I've shared this once before. Tony Campolo, a preacher, was preaching in Honolulu, Hawaii, and he couldn't sleep. So he went to this diner around 2 a.m. And around 2.30 a.m., some women started pouring in, and they left around 3.15. And Tony asked the owner, who are they? And the owner replied, they're prostitutes getting off their shift. Well, the next night, Tony listens in, and one of them, Renee, is having a birthday the next day, and she makes a comment that no one has ever thrown her a birthday party. Well, the third night, Campolo shows up with a birthday cake, and the women walk in, and everyone sings happy birthday to Renee. And she's blown away, and she calls her mom because she has to tell her mom someone's thrown her a birthday party. So here you have this awkward moment. 
a preacher, a diner owner, and a group of prostitutes at a birthday party. It's kind of like a joke. Tony, not knowing what to do, does what he knows to do. He says, let's pray. And he prays for Renee and for the women that they would know the healing of Jesus' arm and the penetrating love of Christ. And he says, Amen. And the owner is incensed. And and the owner says, I did not yet know you were a preacher. What kind of church are you from? And Tony says, I'm from a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at three in the morning. Christ Central, I pray that we would be a church that throws birthday parties for the sexually broken. That we would be a place where the sexually broken knows that God's love abounds even in the midst of our sin. And for each of you here, there is great hope and redemption in your sexual brokenness. God can do a new thing. And He can redeem past and present sins for His glory. Amen? Let's pray.